Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, it's here. It's here. It's, is it Thursday, Paul? It's Thursday. It is Thursday all day, as my mom would say. Yes. <laughs> it's June the 2nd, whoop, whoop, 2022. We are, um, I don't know, is it okay for me to be celebrating the Platinum Jubilee of Queen Elizabeth? 70 years as the reigning monarch of Britain. So she's the longest reigning British monarch. She's the longest reigning female monarch in all of recorded history. Uh, The word monarch may bring to mind the butterfly. It may not bring to mind at all um, the reality of kings and queens because we don't live in the reality of, um, of that kind of form of government. But Britain has uh, has a queen, and it is Elizabeth, and she has been in that position for longer than any other. She is just shy of topping the all-time list for the longest reigning monarch in all of history, male or female. Only France's King Louis XIV and Thailand's Rama IX served longer, and in just 10 days, should the queen live that long, and long live the queen, right? In just 10 days from now, Queen Elizabeth is going to rise from the third to the second position on that all-time global list. She's a couple of years shy yet of uh, surpassing Francis King Louis XIV, and t- who served for more than 72 years. So why does it matter? Well, one, because we like things that are regal and fancy and all dressed up and with horses and knights and nobility. We also like what it says about stability and longevity. We also appreciate the honor and grace and propriety of this woman. We see the beauty of it. That tells us something. It should tell us something. I think as Christians, it also gives us the opportunity to talk about the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, and what it means to be co-heirs with Christ, sons and daughters of the living God. I think it gives us an opportunity to talk about our kingdom values, about walking as people of dignity, nobility, stability, and grace, honor, propriety, and the ultimate longevity. Kingdom values, kingdom people, kingdom things. I think it gives us an opportunity to consider the role and the responsibility that we bear as ambassadors of the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. Uh, Jesus reigns forever and ever. This this uh, longest reigning monarch list, yeah, there's a reason Um, that Jesus isn't on it. And that's because, you know, Jesus radically changes the whole narrative. Um, He is enthroned forever and ever. Amen. Seated at the right hand of God, the Father. God is the king over all creation. Psalm 1016 says the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. Uh, King Jehoshaphat confesses in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 6, O Lord, God of our fathers, 
Are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of all the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. King Hezekiah exalts God in Isaiah 37, verse 16. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. You could look at Psalm 93 or Psalm 95, Psalm 96, Psalm 104, Psalm 136, on and on and on and on and on. Simply put, God is the sovereign ruler of the universe, and we have frankly stopped keeping count of the anniversaries of his rule. So yes, uh, you could do a study today or have a conversation today about God being the king of Israel in a very special and specific way. Um. You could have a conversation today about how kingship is really at the heart of the commission that God gave to Adam in the beginning, when he gave him dominion over uh, the earth. But I think today, let us consider Jesus. Let us consider Jesus. God did not abandon his intention to rule over all the earth through a human king. And his name is Jesus. He is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And the day is coming. The day is coming when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And his kingdom, of that kingdom, there shall be no end. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Ben Johnson joins us next. Ben Johnson is back. Yes, he is still the rights writer. And yes, he is still a pastor, but he is also now the senior reporter and editor for The Washington Stand. You can find it at WashingtonStand.com. Hey, Ben, welcome back and tell us about your new gig. Great to be back with you. And, uh, of course, it's it's an honor is is about the uh, the best thing that I can say. The Washington Stand is a brand-new news organization that has been launched by a, a group that a lot of your listeners will be familiar with, the Family Research Council. So uh, FRC, of course, has been involved in these fights, involved in bringing information that people can trust, and they wanted to do it in a focused way that was uh, going to deal with the news of the day in a more granular detail. Instead of simply dealing with issues, they want to get in on a story-by-story basis, and if they can, uh, try to make sure that people have the information they need so they can take action and uh, down the road use that information to make real change in the way that we have we in the way that our rulers rule over us. All right, so I uh I am on washingtonstand.com. Um you have my attention. Let's um let's look together at a commentary written by Mike Pompeo to restore America, we must restore the family. Um what what is um what is Mike Pompeo, former head of the CIA and um, former Secretary of State. What's Mike Pompeo got to say at the Washington stand? Well, you know, he has, he, this was such a, an By incredible By the way, he looks way really launch. good. 
He looks he really, really good. Does. Uh, I know. I, I must say, he he is he has gotten in shape in in a phenomenal way. Uh, I would like to know what he's doing, uh, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> or not do or not doing. Well, that that may be every bit as important. And one of the things that he is doing, thankfully, is writing for the Washington Stand. Uh, this this was uh, our launch uh, op-ed, you might say, uh, and obviously a former Secretary of State. Uh, he's been bandied about potentially as a 2024 presidential candidate, depending on who else is running. So uh, he's he's certainly keeping a high profile, and he's arguing about the importance of family in life in general. And he's drawing on his experience as U.S. Secretary of State. Uh, talking about the the global problems that we face, he said almost all of them come down to a breakdown in family. It's something that we all know. Without families, uh, strong families, then there there's no government in the world that can intervene in that gap uh, of what is missing when people don't have a strong family. Uh, he talks about uh, the abortion issue, how uh, with strong family support, uh, Roe v. Wade uh, would would not be uh, would not have been uh, an issue the way that it uh, has become. An abortion would not be an issue. You would have families who were willing to step up and help and and uh, raise children. Uh, he talks about uh, the need to empower children when it comes uh, uh, parents when it comes to their children's education in particular. So you see the uh, the need to take control when it comes to the classroom. At one time we had parentally led education. Parents knew what was going on in the schools. Generally, the community approved of what was in the textbooks. And uh, over the last several years, we've seen that communities don't even want to release to the parents what's being taught in schools. And so parents have a critical role in education. That needs to be reestablished. Uh, and, and so he goes through one issue after another and the importance of family within it. And I can't think of a more appropriate editorial stand as we launch the Washington Stand. He's one of my favorites, um, Eastminster Presbyterian Church, where he has been involved for a very long period of time, served as a Sunday school teacher and a deacon in Wichita, Kansas, is um, is one of uh, is a is a local congregation for which I have great affection and where I have spoken as well. So um, I I like him. I appreciate that you platformed him, um, you know, here on the initial launch of WashingtonStand.com. We look forward to um, to circling back around and visiting uh, other headlines that are posted there. So you guys want to check it out. Ben Johnson is now a senior reporter and editor for The Washington Stand. It is a news outreach of FRC, Family Research Council. You guys all know Tony Perkins. Um, and so you should check it out, WashingtonStand.com. We're going to continue our conversation with Ben Johnson in just a moment. I'm going to stay. Continuing our conversation with Ben Johnson, uh, I still consider him the rights writer, and you can still find him at therightswriter.com and on Twitter at therightswriter. He is also now serving um, as a senior reporter and editor, a writer at The Washington Stand. You can find that at washingtonstand.com. Let's talk, Ben, about um, what we expect. It's June, so right, it's uh, it's SCOTUSmas for people who follow um, the Supreme Court, which should be at some level, all of us, the decisions of the Supreme Court are going to be rolled out here in the next uh, just handful of weeks. So talk with us about the Supreme Court decisions that are uh, coming soon. Well, we're looking at uh, possibly almost three dozen decisions. It's, it's uh, as you say, a SCOTUS must uh, coming for us. And, and Supreme Court is so important because not only do they uh, do they deal with issues and, and with legislation, whether that legislation is constitutional, 
but increasingly they've taken on the role as arbiter of our rights, which rights we have, to what extent we enjoy the rights that we thought that we had been given uh, by God from time immemorial, and whether, which, uh, if there is a clash of rights in their idea, which one takes precedence. Uh, for example, uh, we're seeing that in the Dobbs case, Dobbs uh, v. Jackson Women's Health, whether the state of Mississippi can regulate abortion at uh, 15 weeks instead of at the moment of viability. Uh, that was the original stand in Roe v. Wade, was that up until viability, a state cannot pass a law uh, regarding the quote-unquote right to abortion, which had just been newly discovered, because that right uh, supersedes the right to life of the child until the moment that the child can live on its own. That's the sort of twisted logic that uh, has taken place here from a right that is not found in the Constitution. Uh, we've seen, according to the draft opinion of uh, Justice Samuel Alito, that's likely to change. Uh, there's one aspect we've talked a lot about, Dobbs, so I, I just want to give one aspect which uh, perhaps has not been reported very much, uh, certainly not in the uh, so-called mainstream media, which is that the woman who owns Jackson Women's Health is a lady named Diane Durzis. And uh, she's been celebrated in a lot of outfits. She's been interviewed on CNN and MSNBC. She used to own another abortion facility in Alabama. The state shut it down because it sent three women to the hospital, uh, two of them on the same day. And not only did they shut it down, there's a 76-page medical uh, examination report about the mis uh, about uh, the kind of malpractice that was going on in the Alabama clinic. And ultimately, not only did they shut it down, but they said she could have nothing to do with owning another abortion facility. Uh, she may have circumvented that. There, there were some shenanigans that were going on. But she was shut down because it's an unsafe facility, even for uh, certainly for the children, but even for the women who are going in, uh, they have a high rate uh, of, of medical malpractice or of, uh, of medical incidents that are taking place there. So... That perhaps has not been uh, talked about. When, when you're talking about the, uh, the right to, quote-unquote, safe legal abortion, it's never safe for the child. It's frequently not safe for the women, and these are just the ones that we know of. Women often are, are harmed as a result of abortion, and they don't come forward because they were seeking an abortion so that no one would know that they were pregnant in the first place. They certainly are not going to come forward about the abortion. Mm. Um, uh, Diane Dursis, for those of you guys looking for D-E-R-Z-I-S, um, Ben, it's not just the Dobbs case that we're going to um, that we're going to hear the outcome of from the U.S. Supreme Court. There are some others. The school voucher one has my attention. As rightly it should. You're right. There are, I believe, 33 cases yet to be decided. And uh, next to Dobbs, this is another one that everyone should keep their eye on. Uh, the case is called Carson v. Macon. Uh, Carson as in Johnny Carson, Macon, M-A-K-I-N. So Carson v. Macon is out of Maine. And Maine, as we've uh, talked about perhaps in previous uh, episodes with other cases, there are some states that are so rural, and particularly certain school districts that are so rural, they don't have their own school system. They don't maintain a local school. You can't go and find your local public school because there isn't a building there. Instead, they take the funding that they would have used for that school and give it to families and say, you can use this at a public school, you can use it at a private school, you can use it at a religious school, if you wish. Uh, you can use this funding to uh, at, at any school that you can find and drive to or get transportation to. Uh, that's the case, particularly in Maine. 67% uh, of the uh, school districts, I believe, are, are uh, considered rural. 
So uh, there's there's a tremendous rural uh, population there, um, more than almost any other state in the country. So this applies to a lot of them. The state also said that they cannot use this at a sectarian school. And of course, sectarian means Christian or religious. Now, there were several people who, uh, including Beckett Law and uh, the Institute for Justice, who sued and said this is discrimination against people of religion. This is a general public program that is available to all students, and yet you're discriminating against people who want to use that uh, not only to have an education for their children, which is the, the primary state interest, but an education that respects their values. Of course, we've increasingly seen in places like Loudoun County, Virginia, and others that a lot of the curricula and a lot of the, uh, a lot of the uh, um, administrative decisions that are made in public schools violate parents' uh, parents' views and even uh, conceal the fact that they are violating parents' views of morality. So they are using what is essentially known as a Blaine Amendment. Uh, and there, there's an interesting distinction they're trying to make between religious status and religious use. Uh, originally, the Blaine Amendment was named for James G. Blaine. He was an anti, it was an anti-Catholic statute. Uh, they said that public schools, uh, of course, at that time, taught Protestant religion. They taught Protestant Christianity. When there was a large influx of Catholics and they started forming Catholic schools, they didn't want state money to go to teach Catholicism. So they labeled those schools sectarian, and they said, you can't use state money for that. Then the Supreme Court stepped in and labeled all Christian schools sectarian. I mean, you saw it beginning with Engel v. Vital in 1962 when they took prayer out of schools and then state-led Bible reading in Abington in a year later, uh, direct school funding of uh, religious schools in 71, the Ten Commandments in Stone v. Graham in 1980, and then uh, school-sponsored prayer at public graduations in Levy-Wiseman in 1992. So the school uh, that had been, uh, originally the school funding had been go going to a certain kind of religion. Now all religion is cast out. The Northwest Ordinance mm. of 1787 says schools are established to teach religion, morality, and knowledge. Now they're the freeway to the secular city. And the Blaine Amendment in multiple states denies funding to all kinds of Christian schools. So uh, they're going to revisit that, and I think they're going to be successful. And there's certainly precedent to that end. Yeah, so I'm um, I'm looking forward to um, to the outcome of that case. Well, I actually I think that the court uh, is likely to help Christians who are seeking to live in a culture that is largely conformed um, to patterns and and ways that are not godly. I think that these are these are potentially really great helps. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, talk with us briefly about what's going on with people of faith, Christians specifically, at Yale. People of you faith on, at Yale. Are you ready on this? All right. Well, it's in my notes. And so maybe I thought, oh, Ben would like to know this. Maybe if Ben doesn't already know this, maybe that's why it's in my notes. Because, you know, sometimes, Ben, I think to myself, oh, that's a Ben Johnson headline right there. So Yale, remember, the Christian, the story, and yes. the unrelenting daily confrontation. So yes. um, I think that this is a this is a a rights conversation. Um, I also think that this is a is evidence of what's happening at institutions of higher learning, where there are a lot of students who actually think they can suppress the the viewpoint of others, um, and that they can do so quite publicly without, um, you know, with without any uh, retribution or consequence. So, um, yeah. So that was why I was highlighting it. Yes, no, uh, and, and and the story in question, the Federalist Society is a conservative uh, right of center 
a legal institution for uh, for those who are in law school as well as practicing lawyers. It uh, has chapters on many, many campuses, including Yale, and they've brought speakers on who uh, def- who you know, have a, a different view when it comes to the major issues, center-right views, which are based in an originalist understanding of the U.S. Constitution, including on issues like Dobbs. Several people on campus have posted uh, some some very public uh, ideas and, and very public uh, statements that people who belong to the Federalist Society should be the subject of, as you said, unrelenting daily confrontation. Uh, they, they said, in essence, why should these people, and, and uh, this is a, a very close quotation, why should these people be able to walk uh, through the hallway? Why should they be able to sit down and eat in the cafeteria? Why should they be able to be out on the public square without constant confrontation about the fact that they believe things that we don't believe? Uh, in other words, they want people to terrorize conservative and Christian students. Uh, if you have a, a view that is based on what the founding fathers said, if you have a view that is based on your faith, as those founding fathers did, uh, as Samuel Alito does, as Clarence Thomas does, uh, as as many of the justices do, then they want you to essentially be persona non grata. Uh, this is this is sort of the fulfillment of what William F. Buckley talked about in uh, the 1950s in God and Man at Yale, that this was becoming a secular institution that was hostile to uh, to all religious believers. But now you see that essentially this this wonderful Ivy League institution that was founded by believers in order to educate future clergymen, among other things, has been turned around uh, so that it is uh, essentially straining out and, uh, and excluding anyone who has a belief in the Almighty and is willing to take that belief seriously. Uh, it's, it's something that I think all of us should look at with alarm. Uh, all of us should believe in a public exchange of beliefs and a public exchange of ideas. And certainly those who are in law, where you literally have an adversarial case, an adversarial justice system, each side presenting its side, and everyone coming to the proper conclusion based on the evidence and the facts, this undermines the very purpose of jurisprudence in itself, uh, not to mention the fact that it is unseemly discrimination against the majority of Americans. Amen, amen, and amen. So if you know a ministry um, at or around Yale and you want to be encouraging and supporting them, let's be doing that. Um, Christian students as well. All right, Ben, let's leave it right there. Thank you so much. Go get, you know, back to your real work, your day job now. Um, We love you. We appreciate your presence with us and the ongoing conversation we have with you. That's Ben Johnson. You can now find him at WashingtonStand.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio. Columbine, Sandy Hook, fast forward, Buffalo, New York, Uvalde, Texas, Southern Springs, this morning, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Need I go on? When a book uh, falls to the floor, there are children and young people and now young adults, and actually adults of every age now, who are returned to a moment in time when it wasn't a book hitting the floor. It wasn't a, a can dropped off a grocery shelf. It was a gunshot. 
and they still hear it. And they are transported through time back to a moment when the world became a very different place in their lived experience. Funerals are ongoing in the town of Uvalde, Texas. There is one church, the Sacred Heart Catholic Church, that is at the center of many of these services, not only to those directly affected, but to the concentric circles of um, of everyone affected, not only in that community, but beyond. It has become the place of solace and hope. I want to be praying for that congregation and its leadership because they're on the front line. I want to pray for those ministries that have stood up responses so quickly and sent counselors and for those who are going to have to be present for generations in that place. And for all the places to which all of those people who are going to leave Uvalde, which will be many, all the places to which they will go, seeking to escape the reminders, but every time a book hits the floor, every time a can is dropped off a grocery store shelf, it won't matter. They'll be transported back. We can't help it. That's how we're wired. Trauma isn't a once and done thing. And as a trauma survivor, you already know that. There is probably something that instantly takes you back to a moment in time when the world, which was safe and joyful, suddenly became a place that was not. And let me just remind you, things are not as they should be. But that day is coming when everything will be set right. And the one who has started to inaugurate that kingdom, he has come, and his name is Jesus. And you can live in the peace which passes all understanding. You can live in Christ. You can live with a different view and experience of the world by the power of his Holy Spirit right now. You need not wait. You need not wait. Kathy Branzell is going to join us next. We're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about prayer in the midst of trauma. We're going to talk about prayer with and for those who are traumatized. We're going to talk about maybe some prayer ideas, some prayer initiatives that you could engage in even this summer. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Joining us again today, Kathy Branzell. She heads up the National Day of Prayer Task Force. Kathy, welcome back. Hey, good morning, my friend. Good morning, dear. Good morning, dear. So um, we are just a month past the official National Day of Prayer, but we are on our knees before the Lord in in ways in the last several weeks and uh, and days that I think are um, worth talking about. So how how is it that um, trauma doesn't just uniquely bring us to our knees individually, but brings us together with an yes. opportunity to minister to others? Mm. Oh, that is a great way to look at it, you know, and the and the whole idea of what Satan meant to destroy us, to divide us, you know, um, to depress us, because this is this has been weeks of emotion of of 
of great, just not even knowing what to feel, much less what to say. And, um, and we have to pull together. Uh, mm-hmm. This is meant to bring us together, to strengthen one another, to love one another, to pray for and with one another. Um, this, this can't pull us apart. It's got to bring, bring us together. This is one of those experiences, Kathy, where uh, the, the common enemy seems so evident to me, and yet um, the finger-pointing and the blame-casting, um, which is so natural and is going to happen. People like to have someone um, upon whom they can take out their grief, anger, rage, fear, disappointment, go down the list. Um, and in this case, you know, the shooter is dead. Uh, and so it is it is hard to punish a dead person. Um, But, you know, there are concentric circles and layers of living people and institutions and opportunities. You know, why wasn't a door locked? Why didn't the police go in faster? I share those questions. I uh, am as aggrieved and horrified as everyone else. But I also recognize the danger of focusing on blame. Um, And so can you talk with us a little bit about that? Like, so like where... Where yeah. do we put these feelings? Who can handle who can handle the weight of this? Well, and scripture tells us, you know, to take it to God that um, we 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 want answers. Uh, we think the flesh thinks we want answers, but really we want comforting, we want healing. Um, and you know we're told in Philippians uh, verse four that we're, supposed to be anxious for nothing, that we're, we take everything in prayer, in supplication to God. And so that the peace of God, that's what we need. Um, nothing here on earth is going to satisfy. Even answers aren't going to bring healing to us. We think they will, but they won't. But when we go to God in prayer, and uh, let our requests be known. So what is it that we really want? We really want healing. We really want peace. We really want those families, that community. We want comfort for them. And, And God promises that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, the need to understand that, that the peace of God exceeds um, abundantly exceeds the needing to understand the knowing, um, and that, that, uh, that, that will surpass, um, and guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And that's where we have to be careful because the finger pointing, the anger, the, well, what about this? What about that? Um, that opens our heart up to a lot of things, a lot of evil, a lot of judgment, a lot of anger um, that God says, no, no, guard your heart because, you know, from our heart springs the wells of life. And, mm. and so he goes on to tell us whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good. Um, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these and so in these times of of great discussion and um, 
and division, we need to dwell on him mm. and his oh, that's promises. So good. That's so good. I think when we think of, when we consider the word dwell or dwelling on something, we don't often consider a positive context, right? Right. I mean, people dwell on so many things that are unhealthy and unrighteous. And so this invita- invitation um, from Colossians, yes. Philippians. Philippians. See, mm-hmm. I, I need some help there. Well, I need a Philippians reference. Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Philippians 4, 8, and 9, to dwell on um, these things. Instead of dwelling on the things that we might be sinfully prone to dwell upon or that culture might invite us to dwell upon, or social media might in, invite us to dwell upon, but to dwell upon these things. Um, talk with us a little bit about um, some do's and don'ts related to engaging with people who have directly experienced trauma. There seems to be this temptation to um, make this trauma mine or ours, but right. it is a trauma uniquely experienced by a particular set of families, and then right. the other children and people who were in that school. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, and, and it's, so it's not about you. Um, and and also, you know, in the international um, crisis training, we learned that even even if I had lost a child to a school shooting myself, which I haven't, um, you never say to another human being, I know how you feel mm-hmm. because you don't, because we experience life differently. Uh, we are all unique, God's workmanship, but we have different uh, ways that we're brought up. We have different giftings, different experiences, different educations, a different way that we see things, feel things, do things. And so uh, never, ever. Uh, in any kind of trauma. Uh, now, I had cancer. My child had cancer. But I still couldn't go to another mother whose child had cancer and say, I know exactly how you feel. So go with compassion. Go with, um, would you like to talk? The greatest thing that we can be in life often is a good listener. And and I mean tuned in, focused listener not sitting and thinking about what we want to say next, not how we're going to one-up them with our hurts or our experiences or dazzle them with our great intelligence. People need us to just come to them with open hearts, open ears, and open hands and let them tell us, let them let it out because people heal as they talk. Um, if they go through a tornado or a fire or something and they survive, there's healing and hearing them tell their story and to realize I'm still here. Now, in the case of these families who have tragically had their children taken from them, we just need to listen. We definitely need to pray because only God can bring the healing that they need. But we need to come with generosity and, um, you know, just really listen to what is needed in that city for those families. And if you have it to give, give it, but continually pray for them. So helpful. So, so wise. 
Um, we're going to take a very brief pause, but we're going to continue our conversation with Kathy Branzell. Um, she she serves with the National Day of Prayer Task Force, but she is a sister in Christ who has been um, living the reality of the complexity of a life in Christ. Um, and she brings all of that uh, to this conversation. And so I deeply appreciate her willingness to talk with us about these things. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Continuing our conversation with Kathy Branzell. She serves with the National Day of Prayer Task Force. We're talking about prayer and the power of prayer and need for prayer today. So many needs. Um, not in, only in our own lives, but in the needs of others or in the lives of others. Uh, Kathy, Mary has texted in, which let me just remind everybody, you can always text us during the show, 877-933-2484. Mary um, texted in saying, praying for so many today. This is also, and I am observing, worldwide prayer for Prodigal's Day. Yes. So, um, Kathy, you and I, both dear friends, uh, Judy Douglas um, and mm-hmm. her prayer for prodigal's effort. So June the 2nd is worldwide prayer for prodigal's day. Um, Maybe just reflect on that for a moment as we move to a conversation about sort of activating ourselves and others in prayer efforts. Absolutely. Yeah. We love Judy so much. So um, that, that is a pain. Oh my goodness. To not know where your child is or to know your child is not walking with the Lord And um, I'm going to take it a step further because we always think about kids being prodigals. Mm. But Carmen, you would be shocked of how many prayer requests I get from children, from young people who are asking me to pray for their parents, who are asking me to pray for their grandparents because they're not walking with the Lord. They're not making good choices. And so... Um, yes, we, we, we pray for all prodigals of all ages. Um, and remember that if you have a prodigal and you brought them up in the church, if you've brought them up in the word of God, you have a promise, uh, you know, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they grow old, they will not be able to come out from under it is the original language. So many people get confused in the translation of they won't depart from it. And they're like, but my kid did depart. No, it's when in the quiet of the night, in their heart of hearts, they can't throw out the word of God. Every prayer they heard, every sermon they heard, Sunday school lesson, VBS, all of those things. Um, have planted seeds that have taken root, taken hold of their heart, and they will hear those voices. They will hear those words um, throughout their life. They can't escape from it. And so we pray that it draws them back home and it draws them back to the Lord. I think that praying specifically to God as the God who sees even, you know, even those who we don't know where they are, they're not unaccounted for, in terms of the Lord. I also think, you know, thank you, Kathy, for sort of reminding me um, of the nature of the prodigal. It's not necessarily a person where I don't know where they are physically, although that is sometimes the case. Yes, it is so. the reality that I know a person is not walking with the Lord. Right, right. It, it's, the, it's the prodigal nature of living 
outside of the household of faith. It's the reality of living outside of um, a redeemed relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So sometimes there is also a physical distance and we don't know where they are, but we do know where they are not, and they are not in fellowship with God through Christ. And so I think that's a really helpful reminder um, and also that it, you know, sort of goes up and down the generational and relational ladder. Absolutely. Super helpful. Yeah. So can um, I, I want to bring yeah. all of our conversation together of what we did before the break and now, and I, I, uh, and, um, let's speak hope to our children. So one of the things that we tend to do in any time of crisis is we will, um, unintentionally with, 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 with good intentions, even we will actually bring fear into other people's lives. We will bring fear and anxiety into our children's lives by talking to them, um, about the shooting. We have to make sure we're careful about what we say around other people, um, believer, non-believers, children, uh, Um, You know, in this age of where there's a lot of conversation about mental health, let's be mindful about what's coming out of our mouth, because from the overflow of the heart, our mouth speaks. And so one of the greatest things that you can do is, yes, if your child has anxiety, if your child has anything they want to talk about it, uh, talk about, then listen to that. But we need to infuse people, all people with the promises of God, with the strength and the joy of the Lord, um, go to scripture. When you don't want know what to say, pray. But when you don't give people your opinions, uh, let them stand in the firmness, the unshakableness of the word of God. And so all summer long, my, my biggest concern right now in Uvalde is that all of these children and teachers and everybody is scattered. Nobody's going back to school. And so they're going to have to process a lot of this pain and fear and anxiety on their own all summer long. And so I actually have um, am planning to go there before school starts to minister to the teachers and, mm. and, to, and to pray for them. But be praying for them and also be talking to the people around you and speaking life into them, speaking strength into them. Joy comes in the morning. And so um, as you fill your child up, as you fill your home up, as you fill your spouse up with the truth of God, all the whatevers that we just read, um, have conversations about those, about all the times your child was scared, but look how God was faithful. All the times that you thought something bad was going to happen, but look, it didn't happen. And talk about the faithfulness of God in your family, at your dinner table, so that your family and you are built up in the truth um, that that. You know, horrible things don't happen to us every single day. We might fear that they might, but mm. they don't. Talk about God's faithfulness and his love. Uh, armor up with the full armor of God. Put on that helmet of salvation. Talk about the truth of your condition in Christ. Read scripture verses about being in Christ. You are God's workmanship and in Christ Jesus. And... um and, and know the excellence of, um, of your life in Christ 
and ponder those things, discuss those things more than we talk about the fearful, horrible, scary things of life. Mm -hmm. Kathy, thank you, as always, so much. Listeners pointing out uh, that every day for the Christian is a national day of prayer. So let's be praying today, along with uh, Kathy and others, not only for our nation, but for people everywhere. Um, The concerns are many. The concerns are great. Let's be a people mobilized um, by getting on our knees. Kathy, as always, thank you so much. we got to take one final break in this hour. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am Carmen LaBerge. We'll be right back. God only knows what you've been through, but God does know what you've been through. And and God knows what you need in the midst of what you're going through right now. So let me encourage you um, to turn to the Lord today, to seek his face. God only knows and God alone knows. You're not going to find another human being who knows you or the concerns of your heart or the circumstances Um, of your mind like God knows. We are already fully known by God. We do not yet fully know God, right? We know him only in part. But one day, in the same way that we are fully known, we will fully know. That is an extraordinary promise. And the access to that is Jesus. Jesus came to make the Father known. So draw unto the Lord today, that the Father might become more well-known to you and let him heal you. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.